Welcome back to our series, Looking Unto Jesus. Today I have an excerpt from one of my favorite theologians, Edward Payson, who lived during the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, the text, of course, is about the gospel, the importance of the gospel, and the incomprehensible wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you may ask, why do I keep talking over and over about the beauty of the gospel? Well, you can never say too much about the gospel, and most certainly you can never say too much about its wonder. But also we live in a time where there are so many distractions, not only in the secular world, but also in the church. And my desire is to draw people back to that one thing, which is one person that has supreme importance, Jesus Christ, and primarily his work on the cross. So let's, um, let's read from Edward Payson. This is taken out of his Complete Works, Volume 3. He writes that the gospel contains a grand display of the moral excellencies and perfections of Jehovah will be denied by none but the spiritually blind who are ignorant of its nature. But to give only a general view of this grand display of God's character in a single discourse or even in a volume is impossible. With less difficulty, we might enclose the sun in a lantern. We shall not, therefore, attempt to describe a subject which must forever be degraded, not only by the descriptions, but by the conceptions. I will not say of men only, but of the highest archangel before the throne of God. On no page less ample than that of the eternal, all-enfolding mind, which devised the gospel plan of salvation, can its glories be displayed, nor by any inferior mind can they be fully comprehended. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your servant Edward Payson and what he has written here regarding your son. And I pray, Lord, that we would fully grasp not merely the words, but that we would understand that we would obtain to the same disposition of seeing Christ above all things, to see Christ, your son, as you see him, Father, and to glory in him as all of heaven glories in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's um, take this apart phrase by phrase. That the gospel contains a grand display of the moral excellencies and perfections of Jehovah will be denied by none but the spiritually blind who are ignorant of its nature. Now, he says here, first of all, that the gospel contains a grand display of the moral excellencies and perfections of Jehovah. We've said this before. We will say it a thousand times. The greatest revelation of the nature and will of God is found in Jesus Christ, his gospel, and primarily the cross. You see, the work of redemption is not merely the salvation of men, but the display of the glories, the attributes of God. And it is only in the cross that they are perfectly displayed. In creation, we see God's wisdom and his power. 
in in his judgments, we see his righteousness, his holiness. In his law, we see the same. But in his gospel, we see all of these things on greater display, but added to them, we see his mercy and his grace. You see, we're always drawn back and the Puritans and the ancient writers were always drawn back to what I like to refer to as the divine dilemma. And that is, since God is righteous, since God is just and holy, then how can God forgive sin? Sin must be punished and a righteous God will punish sin. So the great question, the question of all the ages is how can God be just and the justifier of the wicked men? And that is answered only in the cross of Christ. In the cross of Christ was God holy. Absolutely. When his son bore our sin, the father forsook him. Is God righteous? Absolutely. As the son bore our sin, the father poured forth his wrath upon him. Is God merciful? Is God loving? Is God gracious? Absolutely. How do we know that? Because of Christ, our substitute, we should have died. We should die eternally under the wrath of God. But God absorbed that wrath through our substitute, Jesus Christ. So it is in the cross where God is most perfectly displayed. And he says, this will be denied by none, but the spiritually blind, those who are ignorant of its nature. Now, of course, he's referring to those who have not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who are outside of Christ. But I'm afraid there is a general application today to to churchmen, to ministers, to the congregation. Whenever I see a church that is built upon giving people merely principles to have a better life, I know that the minister has he's lost his way. If he'd ever found it, he's lost it now. A true minister of Christ is going to set Christ before God's people and know that that is not just some impractical pie in the sky theology. It is the very thing that drives us, that moves us, that teaches us, that conforms us to the image of God. And so it it should be recognized that outside of Christianity, outside of the gospel, outside of those who are regenerate, outside of the church, you're going to find those who find no beauty, no importance in Christ. The pain is when the gospel of Jesus Christ is treated that way among friends. We need a revival in the land. We need a revival in the church. But for that to happen, we need a revival among ministers. We need need those ministers who are not converted to be converted or to leave the ministry. And those who are converted to grow in seeing the absolute importance, the supremacy, the preeminence of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Now, Uh, Payson goes on to say, but to give only a general view of this grand display of God's character in a single discourse or even in a volume is impossible. I have in my library many volumes of many, many Puritans and reformers. Um, Some of them, like Owen, have written 16 volumes. 
There's the works of, of Edwards. There's John Gill. There's so many. And, and all of them say the same thing. That after exhausting themselves in a lifetime of study, after writing volume after volume after volume, when compared to the immensity of the theme, they've done nothing. They've not even scratched the surface. And that is why it's, it's so painful when you hear someone say, why preach the gospel? I've already heard that. My dear friend, as we have said so many times, you will never exhaust the gospel in this lifetime. You will never exhaust the gospel even in eternity. Its glory is infinite. And you see, that's the job of the minister to stay in his study and go deeper and deeper and deeper to bring out the complexities, the beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Payson says something here that is uh, paints for us a beautiful picture. He says, with less difficulty, we might enclose the sun in a lantern. It would be easier to take a hold of the sun and put it in a small lantern than it would be for us to comprehend all the beauty and power of the gospel, let alone preach it. It would be easier to count all the stars in the heavens. It would be easier to count every grain of sand than to understand, comprehend, and proclaim all the beauty that is found in the gospel. So why would the minister run off into other silly things? Why would he seek to entertain his congregation with worldly charms when, when his task in just studying and preaching the gospel in the full counsel of God as it is revealed in the scriptures, that task, even when he exhausts himself, he will not exhaust the theme. Now, he goes on, he says, we shall not therefore attempt to describe a subject which must forever be degraded, not only by the descriptions, but by the conceptions. I will not say of men alone, but of the highest archangel before the throne. Now, Payson is not saying that he's not going to write about the gospel. Payson is not saying that he's not going to preach the gospel. What he's saying is a reality that is set forth in so many volumes of so many men, especially Spurgeon. When Spurgeon is going to really set himself to preach the gospel, he almost always begins with an apology. He says, if I had the mind of an archangel, I still could not comprehend this text, this theme. If I had the, the voice of the seraphim, I could not preach even what I know. And, and that's what he's saying here. That, that when you and I, to some degree, when, when you and I think about the gospel, it is such a sublime theme so infinitely wonderful that even our thoughts are a degradation are something of a deformity of the real thing. We are so limited in our understanding, but we can say the same with regard to the, the greatest mind of the greatest archangel. They are constantly leaning over to see the gospel, to examine it, to know more about it. And then they, I suppose, run off with wonder and just shake their head. So he says, 
that the gospel, even with the best understanding, the best proclamation, is somewhat degraded by all our concepts and all our descriptions. And then he goes on, and this is one of the most beautiful uh, phrases I have found written outside of the Holy Scriptures. On no page less ample than that of the eternal, all-enfolding mind which devised the gospel plan of salvation can its glories be displayed. What is he saying? The infinite God, the omniscient God, is the only one who can fully comprehend the eternal plan of salvation and all his glories. He's the only one who can comprehend fully the glories of the gospel and make it known. You see, um, the gospel is of, of, of infinite everything that is good and only an infinite, infinitely wise, omniscient God can understand it in its fullness. But you see, that's our task as a minister. That's that's what we're required to do is to exhaust ourselves. Running the race for us is tracking down the glories of God in the person of Christ. And then when we find what we find to bring it to God's people, that's our task. And yet when we've done everything, when we've exhausted ourselves, we have to simply bow our head and say, The half has not been told. The tenth part has not been told. It is infinitely greater than anything we could conceive or proclaim. So he says, on no page less ample than that of the eternal all unfolding mind, which devised the gospel plan of salvation, can its glories be displayed, nor by any inferior mind can it be fully comprehended our task is impossible but that should bring us joy because it's impossibly wonderful to track down something so great and to know that when we have found all the wonders of it we haven't even scratched the surface of all the wonders of it I want to end with um a stanza, I guess, from Robert Robinson in 1758 from Come Thou Fount. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. Now, why is that so beautiful? Because of who Jesus is. The holy, holy, holy son of God for whom all things were made. And it's wonderful because of who we are. We were wandering from the fold of God. Now, that doesn't mean sincere sheep who had merely lost their way out of some mental error. No. Rebellious sheep. Fighting against the shepherd. And yet this great shepherd, this infinitely wonderful person. Comes to save the most sinful, the most morally depraved. He goes, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. I love that word interposed. I wish that it was used a lot more in preaching, that it's 
His blood that stands between us and the judgment of God. His blood that stands between us and eternal separation, eternal death. It interposed at the right moment. He saved us. How his kindness yet pursues me. Now here's the part that I really want to fix on. Mortal tongue can never tell. I hope that after your your greatest sermon that you've ever preached on grace, you simply went back into your study and hung your head and mourned. Because no mortal tongue will ever be able to tell. Clothed in clothed in flesh. Till death shall loose me, I cannot proclaim it well. Mortal tongue can never tell, I cannot proclaim it well. Through the foolishness of preaching, God desires to make known his gospel. But that preaching, it must, if it is to have any hope of success, any hope of properly describing the gospel, that preaching must be conformed to the word of God, the written word of God, the scriptures. It must be an exposition of the scriptures and it must be in the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I as ministers, as preachers of the gospel, our great need is to be saturated in the scriptures. Live in the scriptures. Stop with all your busyness. Stop with all your distractions. Stop with all your entertainment. Lay it aside and devote yourself like the apostles of old to prayer and the ministry of God's word. And always, always, no matter what text you take, make your way back to Calvary. Well, so we've studied Edward Payson a bit and a beautiful hymn by Robert Robinson, Come Thou Found. I hope that it will help you in your life of devotion, but also in, in your ministry, in your ministry. God bless.